You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. Well, welcome to church, everybody. Shout out for our Orangeville site. It's the first time I've actually been able to say that, so Orangeville, hello. Yes. Yeah, we are in our summer series, Summer Stories, the Parables of Jesus, and I want to invite you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 through 30 this morning. Um, It is the parable of the wheat and weeds, or if you're old school, the parable of the wheat and tares. Okay, so that's, many of you maybe remember that story in that way. I hope you're taking some time to read through the parables this summer and uh, just enjoying yourself as you're thinking about the stories that Jesus told the crowds and also his disciples and how he explained some of those things. As you read the parables, it will become evident to you that one of Jesus' main themes in the parables is God's final judgment. You, you can't read very many of his parables without getting that sense, that that is the theme that he has. It's clearly something that Jesus wants to talk about. It's something that is on his heart. It's something that's urgent to him. He expresses that very clearly. So it's clearly something that Jesus wants to talk about. And it's also clearly that something that none of us want to talk about. I don't know if you ever noticed that before. Like even in church, Nobody gets too excited about talking about God's judgment, and yet, and yet it's something that is so on God's heart, Jesus' heart, that he tells us over and over again in his stories about God's final judgment. Of course, we don't like talking about it because when we talk about it with our, you know, with our friends or other people, it raises like two really big questions. Uh, one of the questions, the first question is like, well, if God's like a loving God, then why would he actually judge people to an eternity in hell? That seems like the first obvious question. We want love and we want justice from God. I want my life to be right. I want even the kingdom of heaven to be on earth right now. So many of us want love from God and justice from God minus the eternal judgment. In fact, some might say, well, that's pretty audacious of you, the audacity that you have to actually say that some will live for eternity in heaven and others will live for eternity in hell. That doesn't seem very loving. That's the first question. The second question is, If God's in control and loves us, then why doesn't he just judge right now? Like, why does God continue to allow evil and injustice in this world? Why is there suffering? Why is there poverty? Why did this thing happen to my friend? Why is this happening to me? And so the parable put before us, the parable of the weeds, or the parable of the wheat and the weeds, spoken by Jesus to the crowd and then explained to his disciples, it actually speaks to these questions. So let's read it this morning. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while his 
men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also, and the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No. Lest in gathering the weeds ye root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. The word of the Lord, spoken by Jesus himself. The big idea of this parable is clearly judgment is coming. God is a judge, and God has a plan and a time for his judgment. And this morning, I want us, we should be considering this, two necessary responses to the truth that God's judgment is coming. And if you feel the weight of that, that's good. So I want us to pray before we continue. Okay, so let's just bow our heads and cry out to the Lord. Father, we know that it is difficult to uh, talk about, to hear about, to discuss sometimes the fact that you are a judge that your judgment is indeed coming. Sometimes it's hard for us to reconcile that with the things that are happening in our lives and the things in this world. And yet, Lord, those of us who are in Christ, we place our faith in this truth that you are a righteous and holy and just God, a God who loves us and a God who will judge this world. Lord, I pray that for all of us in this room, that we would take to heart the words that Jesus said at the end of his explanation to his disciples when he said this, he who has ears, let him hear. So, Spirit of God, I pray that you would open ears that are opposed to you. You would take off the spiritual blinders from our eyes and allow us to see with clarity the fact that the judgment of God is coming. And allow us to respond appropriately to that. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our first necessary response is this. We need to wait patiently. We see that in verses 24 through 29. This parable, you see at the beginning of the parable, it says this parable is about the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven, he says, may be compared. The kingdom of heaven. Actually, Matthew chapter 13, the whole chapter, all the parables are about this kingdom of heaven. And Jesus is telling his disciples about the mysteries or the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, things that had not yet been revealed to them. He says that in verse 11 of chapter 13. And if Jesus is about anything on this earth, he is definitely about the kingdom. He's all about the kingdom. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, when he starts his public ministry. It says, from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is what, if you're going to summarize what Jesus' message was while he was on this earth, it's this. Repent, 
for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, just a few verses later, it says that he proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom. When you get to his famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, when he gets to the Beatitudes, he talks about the kingdom of heaven. In that same sermon, when he talks about prayer, the Lord's Prayer, he says, pray to God that his kingdom would come, he says. And then chapter 6, verse 33, he says, seek first the kingdom. That's what Jesus' message was all about. It's it was, it's clear, that's exactly what he was interested in, that's exactly what he was focused in on. But he wasn't the only one who was interested in the kingdom of heaven. So were the people that he was talking to, the crowds that he was addressing here in verse 34, and, and his disciples. They were interested in the kingdom. The problem was that the crowds and his disciples were expecting something different than what Jesus was actually offering when he said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You see, they thought that the Messiah was going to come and he was going to set up his kingdom and he was going to do that with power and with force. It was going to be like a political thing, a physical thing, where he would actually destroy his enemies. So place yourself in Israel at that time and you imagine, yeah, all those Romans, yeah, they've got it coming to them. When the Messiah shows up, man, he's going to flip the tables and they're going to be in trouble. That's what we're thinking about here. And that, some, that one day in that time, in him setting up his kingdom, that the, the king, the Messiah himself, would actually sit on the Davidic throne. That's what they were anticipating. There would be a kingdom of peace and righteousness. They would receive rest with God and rest from their enemies. That's what they were anticipating. So when Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is at hand, they're wondering things like, well, where's your army? When are the fireworks about to start? Now, if, if, you, think, if you think that this is far-fetched, actually John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 to 3, actually thought the same thing when it says here, now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, now this is his cousin, right? John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin. When he heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, all the miracles, all the amazing things that are happening, right? He says, he's hearing about that. He sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? It's like, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, you're healing people, and lots of amazing things are happening. Well, what about the messianic? Like, what about the, you know, like the overturn? Like, is there not going to be a political overthrow? He, should we start looking for someone else? Like, we've always thought the Messiah was coming, and then we were disappointed. Like, are you really the Messiah? John is struggling with the same kind of thing. So the problem is, not in Jesus' offer, it's what they were expecting. They were expecting something different than actually Jesus was offering. So what was actually Jesus offering when he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand or it's near? George Ladd defines the kingdom of heaven or kingdom this way. He says, it's the redemptive rule of God in Christ, destroying his enemies and by implication, bringing to his people the blessing of his reign. Now, if you're going to summer summarize that or condense that all into one thing just pick these words 
rule of God in Christ. It's the rule of God in Christ. And when Jesus is announcing at the beginning of his ministry that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he's making a con a announcement that is both now and not yet. Something that's present and also future. The kingdom is now, he says. When he makes that announcement in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, he's saying, the king is here. What a bold, bold statement to make, right? Jesus is in front of the crowd, and he's saying, you know, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near, it's at hand. It's like an announcement that the king indeed is here through his arrival, through his death, through his burial, and through his resurrection, the kingdom of heaven has dawned here on this earth. It's a spiritual kingdom, a spiritual reign. That's why the Apostle Paul says this in Colossians chapter 1. He says, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So if you are here today and you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you have been rescued from a domain of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the son he loves. Right? This is how the Apostle Paul describes for us the description of what's going on in this world right now. There are two domains. One is called darkness, and one is called the kingdom of the Son he loves. If you have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you're not trusting him for his work on the cross for your salvation, then you are part of the domain of darkness. And yet it's because of Jesus' death, his burial, and his res resurrection, we have now the redemption of the forgiveness of our sins so that we can be rescued from the domain of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the Son he loves. That's what the kingdom is. It's this beautiful, beautiful picture. It's, it's, it's now, by God's grace through faith, we can be, be citizens in his kingdom. He paid. Jesus paid. The king paid. The king paid the penalty once and for all for our sin. Through our faith, he reigns in our lives. He has defeated his enemy, has he not? He conquered the devil at the cross. He has conquered death through his, through his own death. We now have his righteousness. The kingdom is now. And so if you are a child of the kingdom, you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you're like, oh, yeah, I've got, you should be celebrating, man. You should be like on your feet going, yes, Lord, look at what you've given to me. You've given to me this beautiful, beautiful, but I'm a citizen now in your kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus is making this announcement. He's saying, I'm here now. I'm here now. The king is here now. You too can be part of the kingdom. Just repent. Repent, he says. So the kingdom is now, but it's also not yet. This parable is clear to that. It tells us about that, that it is now and it is not yet. The king not only arrived, he not only died, he not only rose again, but he's also ascended into heaven. And one day, one day, the king is coming back. He's coming back. 
And when Jesus returns, we will experience the kingdom in all of its fullness. There will be no more death. I know Jesus has conquered death, but we all still die. There will be no more death in the fullness of the kingdom. There will be no more struggle with sin. Evil forever will be destroyed. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. Today we still die. Today we struggle with sins. Today we struggle with the evil one. But one day we will experience the fullness of the kingdom of heaven. And when Jesus is standing there in front of them and he's making that declaration, repent for the kingdom of heaven is hand, he's saying you can experience it now and you will experience it in the future in a way that is so beautiful and majestic it's even hard for you to even imagine. It's so amazing, he says. And so he says in his parable, this is all about the kingdom of heaven. And then he says this, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to. Compared to what? Well, to a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while his his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away, and then he goes on and he goes on. And so in other words, in this parable, he's saying, The kingdom of heaven can be compared to not one aspect of the story, but the whole story, this situation. And we find in this parable that there is a now and there is a not yet to it. So all that said, all that download, okay, big download, lots of information. Hopefully you were tracking with me. Now I wanted to do this. I just want to dive into the parable itself. And we're going to summarize it this way, okay? There are two sowers, there are two seeds, and there's one field. Okay, so let me see if you've been listening. There's two what? Two, one. Wow, that's really good. Excellent. Okay, you're listening. I hear all the way from Orangeville, I can hear them saying the same thing, right? Okay, let's read 24 through 26 again. He says, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the words appeared, the weeds appeared also. Jesus, uh, fortunately, explains this parable to us in verses 36 through 43. So if you look over there at verses 36 through 43, you'll see Jesus' commentary, his actual defining for us what he means when he talks about the two, two, and one principle. He says in verse 37, he answered, the disciples saying, please explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. They're not speaking to the crowd anymore. They're in a house. Please, Jesus, would you tell us what this thing means? And so he says, well, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. So come again, there's two what? Sowers, two seeds, one field, right? One field. And Jesus, Jesus, see in this picture? Jesus, this is the picture of what Jesus is talking about in the story. So we... We read the illustration, the agricultural illustration, but now Jesus talks about the spiritual insight behind his story, behind his illustration. He says, it's like this. He says, how many sowers? One is called the Son of Man, and the other one is called the devil. 
Jesus, the Son of Man, and the devil. There are two seeds. The seeds turn out to be actually people. They're called what in the text? One of them is called the sons of the kingdom, and the other one is called the sons of the evil one. So you have Jesus, who's planting sons of the kingdom, and you have devil, who's planting sons of the evil one. And where are they being planted? The field is the what? The world. It's the world. They're being planted in the world. Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 through 30 is not primarily about the church. It's primarily about the world. Okay, this is really not a parable about how we should practice church discipline and how we should keep the, the, the church pure. Uh, I mean, I get there could be people who are wheat and weeds here in our auditorium this morning. I don't doubt that, but that's not really the application of this story. The application of the story is he's trying to say there were how many sores? Two. Two, Two sores. Two sores. Jesus at doing his work, creating sons of the kingdom, and then there's another one called the devil who's doing his work, and he's creating sons of the evil one, and they coexist together in the earth, in the world. That's what this picture, this is what this picture is about. So Jesus, he says, is the one who's planting wheat. The wheat are the sons of the kingdom. They are those who have heard, the, heard Jesus' message who have actually repented and are following him. They are following him. Devil who is, is his enemy, and he is intentionally, note this, in this parable, he is intentionally planting weeds. Those weeds would have been agriculturally would have been called darnel seeds, and they were very, those plants are very similar to wheat. And you don't notice the difference until the, the weed and the wheat reach towards maturity. He calls them sons of the evil one. They are in opposition to Jesus and his message. They have not repented. They are not following him. And so he says, in the field, that is in the world, in the world, these two groups exist. And behind both groups are Jesus and the one and devil on the other. And so his servants, his servants seeing what's going on in the field, right? They're seeing now. The, the plants are reaching to a certain spot, and they're realizing, oh, my goodness, we've got weeds. We've got weeds. They ask these two questions. See them in verses 27 and verse 28. He says, and the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? Basically, two questions. Why are there weeds in your field? Obviously, there's, they're realizing there's a lot of weeds there and that are threatening the crop. That, I mean, it's a, a good question, right? If this parable is actually a picture of the kingdom of heaven, then why are there weeds? Why are there weeds there? Shouldn't it just be wheat? And the answer the master gives and the answer that Jesus is giving is because the enemy did it. And then they ask him this other question. Do you want us to do something about it? Which seems really logical, right? If at your house, you know, you look out in your backyard and you see you've got a weed problem, right? Not talking about, you know, 
Not talking about that kind of weed, talking about the other kind of weed, okay? <laughs> All right? So you notice you've got a weed problem in your backyard, right, that's threatening, threatening your plants. The most logical thing for you to do, well, some of you probably don't care. So I'll just say some of you don't really care. Let's just admit the fact that maybe some of you actually do care, and you're seeing that weeds are growing fast, and they're kind of threatening the space of your plants. You're going to do what? Well, that's pretty lame. You're going to pull them out. Okay, you're going to get them out. So it's kind of a logical question. But the master's answer is quite in interesting. He says this in verse 29. But he said, no, don't, don't remove them, right? Don't gather them. Lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the weed along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Wait for harvest time. When the reapers will come and cut, they're just going to cut down the whole field. So you've got wheat and you've got weeds. You're going to, they'll cut down the whole, the whole wheel and field. And then you can separate the weeds from the wheat and you'll take, you'll bundle the weeds together and you'll burn them and you'll take the wheat and you'll take it into my barn. John the Baptist talked about Jesus' ministry being like that in John chapter 3, verses 11 through 12, when he talks about how that he would take his winnowing fork and he would take the wheat and put it in the barn, but then he would burn the chaff, he says there, he uses the word chaff there, and burn it with an unquenchable fire. So let's look at the picture. This is like now, right? This is like this 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 whole parable relates to the now of our lives, right? How do you feel about that? I'm not talking about how well the drawing was and all that kind of stuff. That's not what I mean. Okay? Right? Shout out to Sean, you did that's amazing. How do you feel about the fact that we live in a world where Jesus is producing sons of the kingdom but so the evil one is also creating sons of the evil one i have to admit i have to admit like i when i look at a picture when i've thought about that this week i you know i can grow impatient with the struggle with evil in this world you know i just there's there's a tendency for that i don't enjoy talking to people about god's coming judgment and to be met with anger and even ridicule by some like you i'm tired of the injustice that is around us i'm frustrated with the cultural opposition to the gospel of jesus christ so we need to be encouraged we've got to wait patiently right the judgment is coming we have to wait patiently so be encouraged what do i need to be encouraged well first of all you should you should remind yourself remind yourself of something go back to the picture again for us what what, what do you see in this picture you know what our tendency is our tendency is to look at the world and say wow look at how bad everything is Right? This is a mess, you know, there, there's, 
there's all these bad things that are happening, awful things that are happening, but we, gotta, we have to remind ourselves there's something pretty awesome happening. Sons of the kingdom. So Jesus is at work. Remind yourself that the king is alive and his kingdom is very much present. Just because evil is present doesn't mean that the king and his kingdom is not at work. Right? Sometimes we can feel like Elijah, right, who's at the end of his robe, exhausted after, you know, doing this amazing thing. God does this amazing miracle. He runs for his life, and he's, like, so exhausted. He said, I'm just the only prophet left in the world. And meanwhile, God has saved a whole bunch of other prophets, set them aside. Right? Sometimes we just think, like, oh, you know, this world is so awful. Yes, yes, it is. It is. But listen, listen. There are sons of the kingdom here. There are those who belong to the kingdom, those who have surrendered themselves to Jesus Christ. And, and guess what? That number's growing. There are people in China today who are giving their, giving their lives to Jesus Christ. There are people in Iran who are giving their lives to Jesus Christ. There are people in Brazil who are giving their lives to Jesus Christ. This morning, there are people in Canada that are giving their lives to Jesus Christ. All right, so remind yourself, right? If you, like, how can I be encouraged if this is what the kingdom of heaven is like? You be encouraged, remind yourself, like the king's alive, the kingdom is very much present. But second of all, we should also prepare ourselves. Prepare ourselves because we're in a spiritual battle. See the picture again? See the picture again, right? These, these two are intertwined, right? You know, that, that beautiful illustration that he gives in the parable, you have the wheat that's growing at the same time you have the weeds that are growing. There's, there's, a lot of there's a lot of closeness and intertwining going on there. Listen, there's a spiritual battle that's going on. There's a spiritual battle that's going on in this world right now. Even as you're in the kingdom, there's a spiritual battle that's going on. The devil is opposing Jesus and his followers, and he's trying his best to destroy them. Remember, he's intentionally planting weeds. He's trying to seduce those who, uh, us who follow Christ. 1 Peter 5.8, it says, You should be sober-minded, you should be watchful, because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour he doesn't want you to stand firm, so you've got to put the full armor of God on in Ephesians chapter 6 to be able to stand firm. Prepare yourself. We are in a spiritual battle. Judgment is coming. Wait patiently. Adjust your assumptions. Challenge your assumptions. Why do people always assume that God should be blamed for everything that goes wrong. You see the picture again? Hey, how many, how many sores? Ah, it's flipped you. See, tricked, tricked you. Two sores, two, one field, right? Two sores, Jesus and the devil. Jesus and the devil and the sons of the kingdom and the sons of the evil one. 
Why is it that when anything goes wrong in this world, we always blame God for what's going wrong in this world? When we know that the devil is present, when we know that the sons of the evil one are present, when we know that sin itself is present. If you read Genesis chapter 1 through 3 and you think, you read through the account of moving from a perfect, idyllic garden to the end where there is a consequence even to creation itself because of the sin in this world, right? Why, why would we blame God when we know that sin actually is the problem, that the devil is doing what he needs to do as well? So adjust your assumptions, challenge your assumptions, trust in God. Wait patiently. Judgment is coming. Trust in God. He actually does have a plan to judge sin. That's not our job. This parable is not focused on answering the question, what should we do about evil? I find it very interesting that the, when Jesus gives the parable, he talks about the servants' questions, but when he gives the explanation, he doesn't talk anything about the servants. doesn't talk about them at all. doesn't talk about their questions. doesn't talk about any of those things. The parable is not focused on trying to answer the question, what should we do about evil? And certainly... This parable is not endorsing being passive or that we should not seek to deal with the injustices in this world or that we should never retaliate. All it's telling us is this. We don't obliterate evil. God does. We don't get rid of it. God does. His judgment is coming. He will judge the world and its sin. And then I think to me, as I've reflected this week on this, I keep thinking to myself, do I actually have God's heart for the world? 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. I know, and many of you know, that the Lord has been in so patient with you. And so we live in a world where there are two different kinds of seeds, and sometimes we get frustrated with that, and, and you know what, well, we just need to learn how to be patient with others, even as God has been patient towards us. God's heart should be our heart. We should be sharing the gospel with others to remind them of everything that they, can, they could have in Christ. So that's the first thing. We need to wait patiently. Here's the second thing. And I really want us to, to think really long and hard on this. Choose wisely. God's judgment is coming. Choose wisely. See what it says in verse 30? The master says, Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. John refers to that, as I've already noted, in Matthew chapter 3, verse 12. I want you just to go over to the explanation section and just see at the end, at the end of verse 43, when Jesus says this, at the end of his explanation to his disciples, he says, he who has ears, let him hear. What we're about to look at in his explanation, he who has ears, let him hear. There's a sense of urgency in this parable. 
And I want to plead with you this morning. I want to plead with you. Choose wisely because judgment is coming. Choose wisely. Paul said in Romans chapter 9, verse 2, when he was thinking about his Jewish brothers and sisters, he says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my, anguish in my heart. Because he knew, he knew that they were, they were following after the wrong thing. He says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. And it's hard, it should be hard for us to ponder that there may be people here in this room today that may go into eternity separated from God. Look at what he says about the weeds, the sons of the evil one, in verses 40 through 42 of chapter 13. Actually, sorry, in verse 39, he says, The harvest is the end of the age. And the reapers are angels. And then verse 40. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. If you have not placed your faith in Jesus, you have not repented of your sin, as Jesus said, and you're not following Jesus, judgment is coming. Choose wisely. You'll notice in verse 41 that this judgment is deserving. He says, the Son of Man will send his angels, they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers. This is a reference to those who do not believe in Jesus, who are not following Jesus, and yet are living side by side with other believers in this world right now. Some people think that this, some commentators say that this reference of causes of sin and lawbreakers refers to those who maybe outwardly identify with Christ, but who are not truly following Jesus. That should cause us to pause. In the net parable, in verses 47 through 50, it says in verse 49, So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous. God will judge sin. He will judge sin. Judgment is coming. Choose wisely. God will judge sin. Those of us who are in Christ can actually celebrate the fact that Jesus took on himself our judgment on the cross. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 tells us, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I, I don't, God doesn't see me. You know how God sees me? If you are in, you and me, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, he sees us. Only righteousness, the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ has been placed on us so that when God sees us, he sees us as righteousness. Why? Because Jesus, the king, became sin for us. He bears our judgment. He takes the punishment on us. Every single one of us deserves hell. Romans 3.23, all have sinned. And fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin, Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is what? Death. death. It's death. But Jesus Christ, 
Jesus Christ, the King, took our place. He took our place. The judgment, no doubt, is deserving. It's deserving, and it's terrifying. You see the description in verse 42? It's just terrifying. Throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This, he talks about a punishment as a place of intense, conscious punishment. It's hell itself. Throw them into the fiery furnace. It's a blazing furnace is a metaphor that Jesus uses for hell. Matthew 3, verse 12, John the Baptist says it'll be an unquenchable fire. Weeping and gnashing of teeth refers to the suffering and despair. Can you, I can't even imagine how awful it would be to be separated from God, to constantly be in suffering and despair, to be under punishment, constant punishment, separated from God for all of eternity. All of eternity. Judgment is coming. Choose wisely because this judgment is inevitable. It will happen. That's what happens to the weeds. What happens to the wheat is, whoa, you can't think of anything more opposite to what I just described than what's going to happen to the wheat. Look at what it says in verse 43. It says, then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. You know, we are called to be the light of the world here on, on this earth, you know, to shine our light for Jesus Christ. But can you imagine as bright as we possibly can be in sharing the gospel and living a way that we can here on this earth, can you imagine the day when we will all be together and we will shine so brightly? You, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if they're handing out, handing out uh, you know, sunglasses or not, but like it's going to be bright. It's going to be amazing. Our judgment is deserving. This blessing is undeserved. So, it's so not terrifying. It's just amazing. And yet it's inevitable too. One day. One day. And all because of the King, Jesus Christ, and what he's done for us. Augustine said this. He said, those who are weeds today may be wheat tomorrow. Love that. Those who are weeds today may be wheat tomorrow. You will experience eternal conscious punishment, separation from God, unless you are a son of the kingdom. Jesus himself talked to Nicodemus about this in John chapter 3, verse 3, when he said to him, he said to Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. So why stay a weed when you could be a wheat? And here's the thing, you don't have to. What did Jesus say? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Turn from your sin, turn to Christ, trust in him alone, and he will save you from this judgment to come. Judgment is coming. Choose wisely. Jesus loves you. He died for you. He's risen from the dead. 
He is king. He is king. And one day, he will judge. Let's pray together. Father, we ask for salvation. Hear our cry. We pray for those who are listening today. Been here in our midst, here in this room, maybe in Orangeville, maybe they're online. Lord, I just pray for people today who have heard this word that you are coming to judge. Father, I pray that you would give the ability, the faith to those who are not in Christ to come to Christ. Please, Lord. And I pray for those of us who are in Christ that we would persevere with Christ. Father, I pray that. Help us, Lord. Now as we sing, Lord, I pray that we would do this with words as a word of invitation from you to us. Hear our words to you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name.